Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I am your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Last week, we had Byron's older brother slash the favorite certain. Is that a, a correct labeling, Byron? I would, I would say so, yes. Your mother would disagree? He is the, no, no, no. I mean, well, I mean, she would say that publicly, no, she, he's not the favorite, but he is. It's for real. Did, does your dad have anything to say about that? Does he just not care? Or? He mostly just laughs when I make fun of my mom for that because he thinks it's funny. Well, anyways, the favorite son was on the podcast last week, and we talked about kind of a fresh perspective on church, but also specifically on just the role of pastor. Uh, he's a lead pastor, but he's a co-lead pastor. I'm a lead pastor, but I'm a bivocational slash co-vocational slash whatever you want to call it, vocational pastor. And Byron, what would you, what did you call yourself? A, you once were, a, I can't remember how you labeled it. I don't remember either, but I'm not a pastor anymore. Uh, a one, once was a pastor. Oh, uh, once and possibly future pastor. Sure. Maybe? Something like that. Now on the first podcast, you got to know me and Byron uh, episode called this is us because we basically also on the side like to create fan podcasts about the show. This is us. Cause we love it so much. Right, Byron. Oh, yeah, it's the greatest. I've actually never seen it, but oh, okay. my wife likes it. My wife makes me watch it, and apparently I need to finish another one so we can watch another one, and I'm pretty over it. We actually don't love that show. I mean, it's fine. It's not. We don't have an opinion on that show. That was just for funsies. Anyways, Byron, let's talk about our sponsor today. <laughs> and so it's your book again, right? <laughs> like, Well, here's the deal. So, again, we don't have a real sponsor. It's just you. We have our, we have our interns working on it, but to be fair... After three podcasts, we can actually maybe put in for real sponsorships because that's apparently a rule now. You have to have three spot, real actual podcasts on your channel before you can even put in to be sponsored, which is real lame. Are they going to give us like real copy to read, like an actual commercial, or can we just like make it up? I, I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. So stay tuned, folks. Find out next week when we either read a letter that says we were denied sponsorship or you hear a very programmed scripted commercial how about the how about this the next the next sponsor will either be a sponsor or a rejection letter i like that either way it's fine we'll with me. actually read the rejection letter that sounds it, great it'll probably be like a two or three sentence email saying sorry you didn't meet the minimum requirements for sponsoring a podcast even better episode. that's even better because it's short okay well that that's going to be what it is anyway also sponsor- i'm going to call you a sellout when someone actually sponsors our show so you're going to make fun of me when I'm sponsoring it and you say that I'm not a real sponsor, but then if we actually get a real sponsor, you're also going to make fun of me for that as well. Yes. True. <sighs> you're the worst best friend I could have ever had and wanted and hoped for Byron. Love Anyways, you. my book is called the millennial pastor, which is where this podcast gets its namesake. It is available at stores and on places and through things. And I'm kind of over talking about it. <laughs> But there is a section in the book that I think is worth mentioning because we actually have, again, a guest today um, that we're going to interview, talk to you, live live with, and discuss the intersection between faith and culture uh, at length. In the book, though, I, I write a chapter talking about, yeah, I am a pastor. That's the name. It's called, Yes, I Really Am a Pastor. And throughout daily life, as a young millennial who also happens to be a lead pastor, one of the most common things that I get to deal with or answer or reassure people of is that I am in fact a pastor, that I am in fact in charge of an entire church body, that I am in fact the leader of of this thing. And I'm not the youth pastor. I'm not the worship pastor. 
that I actually did go to school, that someone really intentionally put me in charge of this place. I actually joked with my congregation, our denomination is putting out these clergy IDs so that you can go into to hospitals or you can go to certain places where, you know, there's clergy requirements or whatever. And so I jokingly pulled it out in a service one time. I said, if someone is really not sure that I'm the pastor or not, now I have actual proof that I'm really documented legally, officially, whatever you want to call it, a pastor. Um, and our, our guest today, would you like to say hi? His name is Brett. Brett, would you say hi for a second? Hi. Brett, you have a social media name or whatever. I think it's Instagram. Maybe it's Twitter. What is your, what is your handle? Yeah, so it's both Twitter and uh, Instagram, and it's Tatted Pastor. So do you get the same thing? Do you have people look at you because you have tattoos? And I, I also, I mean, I'm not looking at your face right now, but I have met you in person. You also have piercings, and you might... You, you you probably don't look like a normal pastor in a lot of people's opinions, right? Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've been told that once or twice. Once or twice. So is that a regular thing or just a sporadic thing? No, yeah. Normally, when people find out I'm a pastor, you know, when people find out that I'm an ordained elder, they look at me and they're like, "Really? Yep. Are are you sure? Positive. I was there for my ordination. <laughs> I there's even pictures. <laughs> I someone I even videoed it. it. That's amazing. So, so how, how old are you? Where have you ministered? What's your educational background? Tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. Yeah. So I am 27. Um, and I, 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 I like it whenever I listen, you know, either this podcast or when we talk or, you know, looking at your book and how you talk about, like, they gave me a church at 28 and I'm like, (laughs) Well, I got you beat by four years. They gave me a church of 24. Snap, dude. Right? You beat me. Um, wow. But yeah, so I, <laughs> so I, I was hired uh, by my first church at 24. I started when I was 25. Um, that was out in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, and I, I pastored there for about two years. Um, but I'm currently in Rochester, Minnesota. My fiance got a, a chaplaincy job out here. And so we were tired of doing long distance, so I moved out here. And so currently I'm, I'm in between pastorates, but I'm working for a Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which is a drug and alcohol rehab facility, and it's all Christian-based. Um, so I consider that my current ministry while we, while we figure out what's next. My educational experience um, I've got a BA in Christian ministries with a minor in biblical languages, so Greek and Hebrew. Um, and then I have my Master's of Divinity and a certificate in spiritual formation. And I'm hoping to start a demon in the next year or two. But So straight out of seminary, you got hired as the lead pastor, or if, if uh, I think one of our friends generously <laughs> put it, the only pastor of a church. Right. Yeah, I I wasn't even out of seminary. I had a, I had a semester left, um, so I left seminary, uh, moved to Maine, and did my last semester via video. So video meaning like you were remotely in in school, not on location. Yeah, so I was I was on a big old TV screen where they could see my mug and I could see them and virtual interaction. Special. So you, you fit the, you fit the label of millennial pastor though. Would you, I I guess I should ask, would you agree? That's, that's basically you. You're a millennial who's a pastor. I mean, yeah. Or I'm a pastor who's a millennial, however you want to put it. 
however you want to put do you want to put it that way that's it, fair it doesn't matter to me <laughs> so basically we're asking every pastor who happens to be a millennial or a millennial that happens to be a pastor their opinions of church uh basically how how they would define it what they would say it is when asked and also maybe to dive further into that discussion why they're still a part of it i'm sure you're you're aware you've heard us talk about it on the podcast you've You've heard from Barna Pew Research, just anywhere on the internet, millennials don't go to church, or at least a vast majority have completely disengaged. So it seems helpful to maybe define or characterize what church is to really understand what we disengage from, and then maybe to more clearly articulate why you personally have not disengaged, even if there's stuff you don't like about it. So go for it. Yeah, so I, I've I've been thinking about this the last couple of days when you when you first asked me this question, and it's I I've been trying to think of the best way for me to say this without me sounding like a jerk, but I, I'm 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 just gonna sound like a jerk to people. It won't start off sounding like a jerk, but it probably will progress into it. But I mean, I think the first thing I would say when you ask what is the church, the church is the bride of Christ. You know, we are. We are the people that, that, that Christ has called to live out as his body here and now. We are, we are to be the physical embodiment of Christ in this place at this time. Yeah, so I'm probably going to sound a little bit like a jerk in this, but yeah, it, 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 it is what it is. Um, so, you know... When, you know, when, when you ask, what is the church? I think a lot of times the first thing people think of is the church is those people inside those buildings that we see lining the streets. And in some ways, they're right. But I think in a number of ways, they're wrong, too. Um, as, I, as I think about it, you know, it, it'd be easy to say that's the church. But really, if, if we think of the church as the body of Christ, the, the presence of Christ here and now in this place at this time, you, you know, we, we, we have to move beyond that because there's a lot of people inside church buildings that I would say are not Christians, which is a good thing because that's where we want them so that they can become Christians. So it, it's always hard because then people say, well, who's in the church and who's not in the church? Hmm. So that on one hand, you feel like it's a limited view to just say it's people in churches. But on, on the other hand, you're saying it's almost like too generous because even if they're just being in the buildings doesn't necessarily mean that they are part of the body of Christ or Christian to begin with. Yeah. I, it, and so that's why when people ask, like, who is the church or what is the church? That's such a hard question to answer because I, I don't get to dictate where somebody is on their journey with Christ to say whether or not they are a Christian or not a Christian. I can just say whether or not you are acting like the church, hmm. um, whether or it's, not it, you're doing what the church has been called to. It's also a loaded question because when someone asks that question, they already have their idea. Yeah, and that could be from a non-Christian perspective or a Christian perspective, whatever. Or, uh, you know, someone who's you know Jewish or from a different faith altogether, they have their own ideas. So when they say, "What is this?" it's so loaded with culture 
and uh, religious ex- like experience and well, something else we're going to talk about later is like uh, liturgy and what that looks like. And so, if you ask someone who's Catholic compared to Protestant, um, or even the different, you know, all those different things, it's such a loaded question. And like you said, we can't. We're not the ones who can decide if someone's a Christian or not, but their faith is lived out in a particular way. Yeah, that's what we can see. So it's kind of one of those things like you can argue all day about if someone's a Christian or not, but mm. you know, well, well, that's why what how I often view it is it's as a pastor, I don't necessarily feel like it's my job to say if you are the church or if you're not the church, but rather, are you living out the calling of the church? You know, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a part of the body of Christ, are you acting like you're a part of the body of Christ? Are you are are you embodying Christ? You know, because if we are to be the body of Christ, we have to embody Christ. You would, you think that'd go together, but you would think, and that's honestly probably the biggest hangup I hear from our generation that Amen. it's the visible church side of things that causes them to be hung up. Like they, they, it causes them to disengage. It causes them to leave and say, you know what? I, I'm pretty sure Jesus calls us to live this way. But I don't feel like that's happening, so therefore I will disengage. So I guess my question to you, to continue this conversation, why haven't you been the norm? Why have you, uh, I guess, for lack of better terminology, stuck it out with the Bride of Christ, even if sometimes, I I guess I'm assuming that you might have hang-ups, but whether you have hang-ups or not, why are you still engaged? Yeah, so, (laughs) I mean, part part of this will... We'll talk about this, you know, as we continue the conversation. But part of the reason I'm still here is because of liturgy and because of what the liturgy has done in my life. Um, but, but another reason I'm here, probably the main reason I'm here, you know, you, you said it on the first podcast, I think, quoting St. Augustine, where you said, you know, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Um, and, you know, for me, the, the church is my home. The church is the place that I was raised. The church is the group of people that, that loved me. The church is the group of people that stayed beside me um, when I was in my darkest moments. It was the church that, that took, took me in and, and loved me. And, you know, despite her ugliness at times and despite her scars and despite all the issues that she has, she's the one that introduced me to Christ and Christ, Christ is beautiful. I mean, unfortunately, the church has often depicted Christ in such an ugly way, and we have made this ugly God instead of rather this beautiful God that we love and we worship. And so that's, that's why I can't leave is because this is what Christ has founded. This is what Christ has given us, and she has introduced me to the beauty of Christ. And I will forever be in her debt for that, for, for introducing me to Christ. And, and again, for just loving me and for it, – it, I think it's easy for us to talk about all the things that are wrong with the church because those things stick out. And that, that, that's in anything. You know they say for every, for every one negative thing, it takes like seven good things to negate it. Yeah. You know? And so like – it's easy to talk about how, how the church, you know, didn't treat my family the, the, the way they should have in situation X, Y, or Z. But one of the reasons I stay is 
I, I think back to when I was in middle school. And so at that time I was, I was suicidal. I, I was struggling with depression. I was struggling with life. I was struggling with, with all sorts of things. And I would go to church and I was wearing all black and I was wearing, uh, you know, just all sorts of stuff that made church people kind of cringe, you know, it wasn't the suit and tie, but rather it was like those big black gothic baggy pants and black painted nails and, and stuff like that. And I remember this one couple, I, I can't remember the husband's name, which, which is probably good in this story, but I, I, I can't remember his name. And he came up to me and he was like, why are you wearing all that crap? And his wife, Mary, <laughs> came up beside him and slapped him. And said, at least he's here. What more do you want? Huh. And so it's stories like that to see that the church isn't her husband saying, why are you here? But rather it's Mary saying, what else would you want? Of hmm. course we want him here. That's a super cool story. And so for me, that's, that's what keeps me in the church is the, the beauty of the church, the beauty of Christ. You know, because um, Dostoevsky, I probably butchered his name, but whatever. You know, one of the, one of his quotes that has just stuck with me is, "Beauty will save the world." Huh. And the church, when she's doing what Christ has called her to do, is the most influential and most beautiful thing on this planet. So you think the church, uh, being uniquely positioned for you to encounter Christ, is redeeming enough, um, despite the other hangups you may or may not have, if, if I understand what you're saying correctly. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not able to speak for anybody else, but for me, yes. The fact that it was the church who, who showed me Christ. It was the church who let me explore Christ. It was the church who, even though part of the church was saying, you have to view Christ like this, it was also that same church that said, you know, go, go and explore and find out who Christ really is. Mm. And she was the door that, that opened the way to Christ. Mm. So oftentimes when I engage with uh, the generations preceding us, uh, you know, the boomers and even older than that, there's kind of this question of why do millennials always complain about what's wrong <laughs> with things? And so for me and for, for, I'll speak for Byron unless he wants to correct me. I, this podcast is just an honest take on what we see happening in the church, good or bad. When we yeah. talk about things we don't like, we're also going to offer our our own input as to what we are doing to try to maybe address yeah. those issues. So you're talking yeah. about something you beautifully love about the church, but I'm sure there's things that make you cringe. And I know one in particular, this is probably going to be, our transitional period of where we talk more specifically with you about kind of your area of, I don't know, I, I guess we could call it expertise, but there's something that happens oftentimes to you. Um, you wear something on a daily basis uh, when you, well, I guess maybe not daily basis, but you wear something and there's reasons why, what is, what is that? And what are the reactions you get for it? Yeah. So um, I'm a Nazarene, which is a part of the Wesleyan holiness movement. And for and the Protestant. most part, in Protestant. Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I would disagree with you on that, but that that's a whole different conversation. But other others would label it yeah, Protestant. Yeah. Yes, everybody else would label it Protestant. I'm just the rebel that would disagree because what would one, you what would you call it? 
I would say we're Anglican because we weren't a part of the Protestant Reformation. We came from the Anglican Reformation. Okay. But that's a that's a whole different podcast for a whole different day. <laughs> Which I want to do someday. That sounds great. <laughs> um, well, on season two, we'll have you back. Right? Yeah, because then we can talk about how I don't even think we should be a denomination, but rather an order. But again, that's a whole different story. Oh, my Lanta. It's going to be I'm real. so excited. This is going to be great. <laughs> All right. Continuing. So. So with that being said, with that being said that I'm a Nazarene is most Nazarene clergy do not wear the clerical collar. It's the clerical collar being that little white thing surrounded by black. Yes. It's the little white tab that you normally see Catholic priests wearing, or it's a full banded tab that kind of looks like a white dog collar um, that, that you'll see um, different uh, pastors and priests wearing as well. And it, it <clears throat> excuse me, it's not super common in our tribe, but it's it's starting to become a little bit more common. Um, but there, yeah, like you said, there's a reason I there's a reason I wear it. Um, and part of it is I I I take my task as a pastor seriously. And I'm not saying that those who don't wear one don't take their their vocation seriously. Well, I don't wear one, um, and I was very offended until you said that. So thank right, you for right. clarifying. Well, maybe one day you'll be a real pastor with a real collar. Uh, don't worry. There's plenty of other reasons why people don't think I'm a real pastor before that one. So, But anyways, continuing but, on. But yeah, so the church that I'm helping at and serving at right now, one of the, one of the uh, church ladies there actually just asked me about this the other day. She, she came up to me and said, so I noticed you were wearing a collar the other day at one of our district events. Did you grow up Nazarene? To which I responded, yes, I'm actually a fourth-generation Nazarene. I've never not known Nazarene. But there's a reason why I wear this. And one, it's, it's to remind myself of my vocation, to remind myself that I am a minister of God. I am, I am one who has been called to serve the church and to serve the world on behalf of God. And that it is a, a uniform that shows to other people that I am a representative of God. It's a uniform that allows me to be accessible to others. Um, I, I, I think of a couple different stories of, of from times when I've worn the collar, both that things that I view positively, but things that you could say are both positive or negative. You know, I, I recall one time uh, sitting in uh, the uh, coffee shop in Cape Elizabeth just working on a sermon or something, wearing my collar and having the barista come up and say, Hey, I've seen you around a few times. I know you're a pastor. My family's going through a hard time. Would you mind praying for them Hmm. to be like, yeah, like that's what I'm here for. Like I'm here to pray for you and for the world. That is my job is to pray and to pray for whatever arises. And this person would have never asked me to pray. At least I don't think she would have had I not, been a clear visible symbol that I am a member of the church that I am a member of the clergy but I've also had people come up to me and look at me and say stuff like I don't like the church cool and they probably say it a little less uh civilly than that yeah sometimes. yeah yeah it's, yeah um but you know they'll come up and say stuff like I don't like the church or I don't like you you know <laughs> stuff like cool. Like, let's, can I ask you why, you know? And sometimes they'll be like, I just, 
I, I, I just can't believe in this God that you people believe in. Well, okay, well, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And they go on and they talk about this vengeful and wrathful and just kind of a God that sounds like a jerk. And just to see the look on their face as a, as a person of the cloth, as a priest, as a minister, to look back at them and say, I don't believe in that God either. You know, What's the reaction that you normally get? What do they, I mean, do they just kind of sit there with their mouth open or what? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it varies. Some of them are like, wait, what? And some of them are like, oh, you know, or, okay, so, so what, what do you believe? And so to be, being able to tell them about a God that infinitely loves them, that there is neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon nor like nothing, not even death can separate you from the love of God. That God loves you so much that God's willing to do whatever it takes. God's not this vengeful God being like, oh, sinned again, can't come in now. But rather that God's this God that is just trying to embrace us and this, this God of love. And so it, 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 the collar opens those opportunities, but it also, for me, again, it, it, it reminds me of my vocation. It reminds me of what I've been called to do. And, and so I, there, there was one time, you know, it was, it was a couple months ago, right after the Pennsylvania sex scandal with all the, with all the priests came out. And I was at the gas station pumping gas and I was in my collar and I remember this one lady just staring at me. Guilty by association. And it's a hundred percent what it was. And, and so to be able to apologize for the church to her to say, I know why you're staring at me. I know what you're thinking. It is unexcusable what these priests have done. And I know that I am just one clergy and I probably don't have the right to do this, but on behalf of the church, I apologize. Hmm. I am sorry for the ways that the church has hurt people. That is not who we are. We are better than that. And so being able to just be a, a representative of the church, um, you know, and again, just to be able to make myself open for people when they need it. I think of, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody in a police uniform and you're about to get robbed, you're probably going to go to the guy in the police uniform. It just, you know, it just, it's just a way to be open to the community around me. But it also, in some ways I would assume based on, I I don't wear a collar, but I've heard, I've been in those conversations when the guy in the collar walks by, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've been with pastors. I don't know, Byron, if you've had these same experiences or not, but sitting in, in a group of pastors, because that happens a lot. We have lots of conferences. We have lots of meetups. We have lots of events. And there's always that one guy like you, Brent, who, who wears a collar, you know, and there's not a ton of them, but you know, on average, less than I would say 1% of our pastors in the whole denomination wear a collar. So you stand out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I often hear some of the most negative responses and it all stems from this, Oh, that's too Catholic. (laughs) And that's just such a cat. And then, you know, it goes, it opens up a whole litany of things that we then have to discuss because, you know, for me, I I don't know. I don't get, I guess I don't understand a hundred percent why being too Catholic or being Catholic or having Catholic influence is negative because if we're honest, so much of what we, 
love and appreciate about church, whether we're Protestant or Anglican or Catholic, stems from the Catholic Church originally. I mean, yeah. just our very Bible would not be what it was today without the Catholic Church. So, yeah, well, one of the things that I that I always love to inform people because you know Nazarenes are great when they see me in the collar and they go, "That's a Catholic thing." Uh, for me to take a minute and say, just so you know, this is actually a Protestant thing. The Protestants started this. It was started in the Scottish Presbyterian Church by a guy named uh, Reverend Donald McLeod. He was the one that started it. He, uh, he started wearing it as a way to identify himself as clergy. And so others in the Church of Scotland to wear it to identify them, themselves as clergy. To eventually, the Catholic Church saw this and they're like, that was a really good idea. So we're going to make all of our priests wear them so that they can identify all of us as priests and clergy. Hmm. And so whenever people are like, that's too Catholic, I'm like, actually, it's Protestant, and the Catholics stole it from us. So you're going to call us Protestant when we have a good idea, but later we'll be Anglican. Well, no, because this this was the Presbyterian Church. Okay. okay. The Church of Scotland. So, And and, I mean, part of it, too, so – what I, also, what I also try to tell people when they say, like, that's too Catholic is, one, being Catholic is not a bad thing. Like, again, the Catholics pray. The Catholics go to church. The Catholics worship Jesus. Like, are these things that we should throw out? No. And so uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who, who was an archbishop back in, I want to say, the 50s, uh, he has this quote that is phenomenal. There are not a hundred people in America who hate the Catholic Church. However, there are millions of people who hate what they wrongly believe to be the Catholic Church, hmm. which, of course, is quite a different thing. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I grew up with that. I know, Byron, I, you've probably experienced it, too, where there's just like, if it's Catholic, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never really understood that personally. Like, I love when people tell me that, like, the Catholic Church isn't, they are not Christians. And I go, wait, what? Like, it's a different religion. No, no, it's not. They're Christians. It's a different tradition. They have different ideas. And, yeah, there's a lot of differences between the Nazarenes and Catholics, but that doesn't mean that they're not Christians. Um, I did have a quick question for you. Yeah. So I, so you wear a collar, and that, that represents you as clergy people know you, and you've had positive and negative interactions because of that. Mm-hmm. Every church I've worked at, I basically had to work another job besides one of the – I worked at three churches. One of them was full-time. The rest were not. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people, most of which who weren't Christian or you know, maybe grew up in the tradition, a tradition but don't go to church anymore or whatever. Um, and people, when they find out that I'm a pastor – or studied ministry. Like the fact that I have a, a, a degree in Christian ministry blows people's minds. Um, I think it's interesting because like there's good and bad with both, like not being able to identify yourself in the community as a pastor, I think can be bad, but also good because some people are so opposed to being around pastors that they won't even talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. But when they like, I'll get to know people. Also, I'll hang out. I'll even like spend time with them outside of work or whatever. And then I'll, and I'll finally tell them like, Oh yeah, I was, like when I tell people I used to live in Hawaii, they, everyone's like, oh, why? And I was like, oh, well, I entered a couple different churches there for two summers, and I decided to move there afterwards. And, and they're like, wait a second, you worked at a church? And I was like, yeah, I was a pastor, or I am a pastor, depending on the time period, you know. 
And they're like, what? Like, and they, like the, the look on their, their eyes, it's like their brain, brain just exploded. Like, you can't be a pastor. You're a normal person. <laughs> um, so, like, I think that's there's positives and negatives to that. For sure. But, like, um, I have a friend who actually all of us know, um, who used to anyway. I don't think he does anymore, but he had a, a clergy sticker on his car for when he mm-hmm. went to the hospital and stuff because you can park in clergy parking and stuff. Yeah. And people who didn't know he was a pastor would randomly like see him be like, wait, you're a pastor. Like, <laughs> and it was just always really funny to me because they, they got to know me as a person first before mm-hmm. I ever talked about what I did or why I did it. Um, and that was, that gave me a lot of inroads, especially with millennials. Cause yeah. I know a lot of people who are millennials who have very negative connotations of pastors and they had a hard time reconciling the as a person but that i was a pastor so do you how do you feel like as far as where you know identifying yourself as a clergy right away like that's one of the first things people are they're going to see that call they're going to know does that change how you think most people interact with you but like like you said you already had some pot like somebody asked you to pray for them you know that's a good thing so yeah i I mean it's i mean it, it, it so i'm Again, I'm I'm kind of different than than the average clergy or the average person, the clerical collar. Um, I I think I have 13 tattoos. I kind of lost track after so long. <laughs> um, but I mean, like my my left arm is just full of tattoos. My right arm has several tattoos. Yeah, I've got uh, gate or my my ears are gauged, so like you can literally stick pencils through my ears. I've got a lip ring. I've I've got an industrial bar. I used to have my eyebrow pierced, and so people so people come up, especially when they see me in the collar when I'm wearing like a, a short sleeve clerical shirt, and they look at me. They see the collar, then they see the tattoos, then they see the lip ring, and they kind of do like that like double take back and forth of like, uh, uh, who uh, who are you? Wait, what are wait, you? What? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, and they're like. I even one day I was at the the post office. I had the lady behind the counter say, "So are you pretending to be a priest?" <laughs> <laughs> it's not Halloween. No, no, I am not. I actually, I it, at the time it was in, when I was in Cape Elizabeth, I was like, "No, I actually passed through the church right down the road." Oh, you don't look like a pastor. So it sounds like you almost caused people's curiosity to force them to have to talk to you. Almost yep. as if it's irresistible to say, hold up, this dude is looking all kinds of unique and I need to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, in, in a number of ways. And again, I, I'm not always in the collar and there's people that meet me and it's not till later on that they find out I'm a pastor. Mm. But my view is whenever I'm at a community thing and whenever I'm trying to be a representative of the church, like a um, couple years ago um, at the women's march that were happening all over the country – I went and I was in my collar. I had, I had one lady come up to me and she said, I am positive that we disagree on a number of things. And I said, you're probably right. And that, but then what she said was the reason that cemented why I loved wearing the collar. She goes, but I am so glad to see that the church is listening. Hmm. That, yeah, because you were a physical representation of mm-hmm. listening by just being there. Yeah. You know, and again, she was right. We probably disagreed on a number of different things, but it was my mm. job as a representative of the church to say, okay, we're listening. So it occurs we to me to that something. 
it occurs to me that with, I, I mean, I guess outside of the building that we do church in, I want to say that very, very carefully inside of a building we worship in, we call them churches, but church for me is a little different than yeah. just the building. You might get one reaction then outside. It almost seems like outside of the church building, you get some of the, the more interestingly positive reactions and responses to you wearing a clerical mm-hmm. collar, but in the church and particularly <laughs> in our denomination, those things could be perceivably too Catholic and one one what what I I think people are trying to say is they don't want us to suddenly become like the Catholic Church as as in like mass or how they do liturgy or worship or they don't want to go up down they don't want to I, I don't know exactly I, I guess I can't say all of that stuff but how much does your I guess uh, more liturgical practices manifest in just how you oriented or led a church and constructed a Sunday morning worship service. Yeah, so... Well, what is liturgy, too? I guess we yeah. should probably unpack that for a second. Yeah, so liturgy has this huge misconception for a lot of people. A lot of people think, you know, when you say liturgy, they instantly think of, oh, he, he's talking about the Catholic Church, the up, down, all around, spin around, come forward, <laughs> go back, all of that stuff. <laughs> and, 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 you know, yes, that is a form of liturgy. That is part of it. But liturgy just comes from the, the Greek word liturgia, which literally just means work of the people. And so any time that we as the church are gathered together worshiping God, we are doing liturgy. You know, the question then just becomes, is it good liturgy or bad liturgy? Mm-hmm. Is it liturgy that is shaping us and forming us more and more into the people of God? Or is it just a poorly shaped liturgy that's kind of a blob that's just kind of Jesus, you know, and we just, you know, put the Jesus stamp on it and say we're good, but it's not really forming us into the people of God. There's a liturgy I see that is a huge American thing. I don't know if it's happening in other countries. I guess I can't speak to that, but there's this consumeristic liturgy, I would call it, where I need to come and get what I want from this. Otherwise, mm. I'm going to go to another one. And that's that's not really what liturgy is for, but that mm. is in itself kind of a yeah. liturgy because there's this expectation to, mm. oh, sing my favorite songs. Yeah. Uh, don't make me stand up too long. Don't guilt me too much about that whole tithing thing. I don't want to talk mm. about money. And then make sure the sermon is short enough that I make it to lunch before the Baptists do. Right? Like yeah. that. That's kind of this misconception of, well, it needs to meet all my needs. When really liturgy is, like you're talking about, this gathering together, intentional, worship-filled, focused, endeavoring together to be more like Christ yeah. uh, practice. And it looks maybe a little bit different from church to church. Yeah. Oh, it, it 100% does. I mean, again, the what I always ask Pat, because in our denomination especially, a lot of pastors think that, I, that I'm trying to force a – book of common prayer liturgy on everybody that I'm trying to make them all follow our, our church of England roots and that trying to make them do things that way. And what I often say to them is no, like I'm not trying to make you do it like that. If you do it like that, great, because that is a great model. That is a great liturgy. But my question is, have you thought through your liturgy? Have you thought through how you're forming and shaping these people that you are, that you are tasked to care for? Because nobody is against liturgy. Again, but people are against what they think are liturgy. 
you know, I, I think of some of my family that's like, oh, I'm just not into that liturgical stuff. And, you know, and I'll put this out there. We are Steelers fans. I'm wearing a Steelers shirt right yeah. now. You know, we love Pittsburgh. And I'm like, we'll forgive you. Well, I might me. not. I'll be real. <laughs> I'll work on it. It's, it's, it's on me, not you. It's my problem, but I'll work on it. No, my, my issue is definitely your problem. Santonio <laughs> Holmes is not my fan. I'm not a fan of his, dude. I'm a Cardinals fan, so 2008 and nine, not so happy about all that jazz. Anyways, continuing on. But yeah, so I feel it, <laughs> I, I, and that's our sports sidebar for the episode. <laughs> we'll have one every time. It's gonna last right? about a minute long. <laughs> yeah, but so as, as as Steelers fans, we have a Steelers liturgy. You know, you 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 go to a football game, and whether or not you like it or where you stand on it or whatever or kneel for it, you know, they're they're gonna play the na- national anthem every time. That's part of the liturgy. Then there's a coin toss. If you were to flip those two around, people would have some issues. Then yeah. the game starts. Every time the Steelers do something good, you're going to see the stadium waving a bunch of ye- a bunch of yellow flags. Or and, they're, and, they're, and they're terrible too. They exactly. are so terrible. You guys really just my good joke there. I just wanted to point that out. I had a great joke loaded, waiting for it, and just I ruined it. It yeah. wasn't that good. I know. I just it was I, terrible. I just <laughs> that was the same joke though. Oh, clever. <laughs> Yeah, but, um, yeah. but since I'm the guest, it's funny when I say it. That's it true. That's it was true. hilarious that's, when you said that's it. But, uh, but yeah, so like you know, there, there there are these things. You know, if you're from Pittsburgh, you know you know what yoy double yoy means. It was whenever something good happened. Myron Cope, who was one of the announcers, that was what he would yell. And so liturgy is ingrained into all of our lives. You know, whether or not we we realize it. And so liturgy is not a bad thing. And so what I often tell people again is, you know, are we, are we doing good liturgy that is shaping us into better and better images of Christ here and now? Hmm. Which might sometimes put us in a less comfortable position than, yeah. than what we were, are used to perhaps in our liturgical practices on a Sunday morning. I think yeah. also part of the biggest problem with liturgy or the idea how we twisted liturgy is that it's not liturgy anymore. It's an order of service. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, and I mean that in the whole sense of what you were talking about, liturgy is the idea is it's thought through. It's about the whole thing. It's, it's a part of worship. It's a part of fellowship. Like there's so much more to it and we've turned it into, Oh, well we come in, we have somebody do announcements then we might have a time where we can say hi to other people. Sometimes we don't. We do a couple songs, but not too many. We stand for a little bit, then we sit, and then, then we do offering, but we don't talk about it too much. And then, then we do a sermon, and then everybody leaves. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, just, it's like a, this is how we do it point by point instead of, like, yeah. all these things in order to, to fulfill worship, but also, like empower people to worship it's not just that we're not checking things out well we shouldn't be checking boxes off of something like oh did that today good it's not it's not like i always call christianity a punch card system Mm -hmm. like i went to service i went to sunday school and i went to church and i went to wednesday night that's three punches for my week and then like i feel like the church has taken that idea and said oh well we did this many songs and we did the offering and then we did a sermon so it's like we're, we're just going through the list yeah, well, I mean, um, so e- even look at what we call our gathered time of worship. So in the, in, in the Catholic Church, it's called Mass. 
in a lot of the Anglican churches and Episcopal churches, it's called Mass. In the Orthodox Church, it's called the Divine Liturgy. But for some reason, we thought it was a good idea to call it service. Hmm. Which That's for interesting. me, for me, I have a lot of hangups about that because it's like, again, I'm I'm not here to get my card punched. Like that's what a service does. It's like, here, come in, get your 50 minutes of Jesus that you need, and and then you're good to go. Like, you know, to which even in the church I'm currently at, like I've, I don't know if they've picked up on it, but I refuse to call it the worship service. I just call it worship. You know, when when we're gathered together here here in our worship we're doing x y and z and you know and so yeah you know moving away from the idea of like we're just checking off boxes instead of you know what are we doing to purposely shape ourselves like josiah like you have a million kids or something like that now. <laughs> yeah you know a million and a half yeah you know and so i'm Actually, sure three, that three four on the way yeah so just so three and a half ish um, sure whatever but so like i'm sure that you are doing things with your kids to shape the people they are becoming yeah half the time it's just keeping them from trying to kill themselves because kids make poor decisions but yes the rest of the time absolutely i'm trying to form them that might be a great analogy for liturgy just trying to keep (laughs) ourselves from killing ourselves (laughs) you know Uh, like you know using the liturgy to to create the people that we're meant to be. Um, huh. So, okay, that it, what liturgical practices do you implement either in a corporate worship gathering or just personally then that you see fulfilling that, that drawing us cr- closer to Christ, molding us, forming us more in the image of Christ? Like, what do you practically do? Yeah, so one of the things that I personally do um, is I use a, a prayer book and I... I'm not perfect at it, but I try to pray seven times a day using this prayer book. Hmm. And it's, it's to help shape me into a rhythm of prayer so that even when I don't have it on me, I'm still taking a minute and praying, still, still trying to communicate with God and, and listen to God and to, to tap into the flow of God. Um, and so that, you know, for me, that's part of it. Or, or even then, you know, uh, with, um, some of the like icons I have using them to, to surround myself with the great cloud of witnesses and, and to step into that. And even at, at the church I'm at now, I'm, I'm helping them to work towards a few different things because really what they have is they have a mini concert. That's not very good. <laughs> and if, 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 if any of them are listening to this, Please don't take offense to that, but you know they're 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 not professional singers. It's not like a Beyonce concert or whatever. Um, so it's it's a mini concert, and then it's a TED talk, hmm. which we're, we're we're starting to change that. the The pastors that are there, they're they're starting to to change how we're doing things and what we're doing, so that it so that it's something different. So that it's okay. We're coming here and and we're being shaped. We're, we're being molded in a specific way. And so part of what I'm, I'm hoping to do with them soon is to actually start doing a rule of life, to sit down with the church and to say, what are the things that we value? Now, how do we live that out? Because I've had this conversations with some of them, and I've heard this numerous times, is that we are a church who values scripture. 
and I can send you guys a picture of the last order of service that we had. Do you want to know how many times scriptures were, were uh, was read during the service? I'm going to guess none. There was not a single place for scripture to be read. Hmm. Curious. There was a sermon, and during the sermon, scripture popped up sporadically. And they're, 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 they're getting better at saying, okay, we're going to intentionally read a bit of scripture before the sermon or whatever. But it's still one of those things where I've talked to some of them where I said, we, we say that scripture is one of our core values. Then why do we sing eight songs but don't read any scripture? And it would be very easy to just even do the lectionary, which is a three-year rotation of, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Gospel, Psalm, and Proverbs. It would be really easy just to even read. That's what we do at mm-hmm. my church. We, we at least, at the very least, always will read the Psalm for that mm-hmm. Sunday. And it's yeah. already scheduled out for, for yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, doing things like that are some of the intentional things that, that I'm trying to work with the church. And then again, like e- even in my own life, there's, there, there's small little liturgical things that I do that I use to try to shape who I am. Like, you know, I'm, hmm. I'm going to get not really graphic, but a little graphic for a minute. <laughs> so, so the, the, these are two of my daily routines. So whenever I get up in the morning, my alarm goes off. I make the sign of the cross on myself and I say the words in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I serve. Hmm. Or sometimes I reverse it. I serve in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I get up and I go about my day hmm. as a way to, to give this day to the Lord. To say, this day I am yours. I am your servant. Put me to what you will. Give me to who you will. And the other thing I do is whenever I get in the shower, so this is the might be kind of graphic part, but not really graphic. Um, <laughs> most people probably don't know what I look like. So <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where this is going, but I'm I so excited. We, 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 we can edit any of that out if we need to. Yeah, we um, might have to cut all this out. I, I'm eagerly anticipating having to cut all this out, though. It's like a nervous excitement right now. Yeah. But so what I do is as soon as the water touches my head, I, again, I make the sign of the cross on myself, and I say the words, I am baptized. Huh, okay. As, as a remembrance that I am a baptized Christian, that I have been baptized in the, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's a way for me to remember that that is my core identity, that my identity isn't my job, that my identity isn't my vocation, that my identity isn't the, what, you know, the way people feel about me or even how I feel about myself. But that at the core of who I am, my identity is that I belong to Christ and that mm. I identify with his death resur- or his life, death, and resurrection. And so for me, those are two little things that since I've started doing those over the last few years, it has greatly changed my life. Mm. It, has, it has shaped me in a different direction instead of just trying to figure out like, okay, who is Brent? Like, what am I doing? Like, what, what, what is all this about? It, it gives me the direction that I am one who belongs to Christ and that I am a servant of Christ. And so th- those are just two small liturgical things that I, that I practically do that even though the church I go to isn't very liturgical, that it's not very intentional about its shaping, these are two small things that I can do every day that, are, that is shaping me towards the image of Christ. Hmm. So then – 
I guess as a wrap-up, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. There's going to be some that listen to this podcast and their knee-jerk reaction to hearing words like icon or crossing yourself or the caller Mm -hmm. is just, oh, but that's Catholic and it's bad. How how would you, because I know you've you've had to do this to some degree. Mm -hmm. How do you help? What do you say to people to help them kind of, A, not necessarily just have to defend the Catholic Church, but B, focus on the simplistic... uh, liturgical function of this is helping me be more Christ-like and that's the more important part not whether or not a Catholic does this but that this is simply forming me like what do you say how do you help people I guess get that or understand that yeah um you know part of what I do is I try to remind people that you know our denomination was founded in 1908 we are a baby we are still figuring out who we are and what we're doing. The church is much older than we are. We, we did not just randomly start in 1908, but rather just our denomination. The church itself goes back to Christ and that we are a part of that history, that that history is our history. That it's not that we didn't just like morph out of nowhere, but rather we are part of that long lineage. And so this stuff that people say, oh, that's Catholic. Well, yeah, you're right. That's Catholic. It's also Orthodox and it's also Nazarene. You know, it's just Christian. It's, it's, it's a part of our general history. It's a part of who we are. Um, yes, our particular branch has looked at things a certain way and we try to do things a certain way. But that doesn't negate the trunk of the tree that we came from mm. um, and to, to, to draw from it and, and to take from it. And so that's part of what I tell people. And then when they ask me, you know, well, why do you personally do this stuff? Well, for me, again, it, it, it connects me to the deeper church. It connects me to the great cloud of witnesses that, that have gone before me. You know, one of the reasons I love icons and why I, I, I have a lot of them. Right now I'm sitting in my office and I'm surrounded by probably about 200 icons um, and <laughs> you I can see them on his social media, right? And I, I have incense going and part of why I, I, I do that is because it, one, the incense reminds me of my prayers being lifted up and the icons remind me that I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that I am surrounded by people who have come before me, that, that, that this thing I'm doing, this faith that I'm trying to live is not just on me, but it has been lived out by people. And it has been lived out well, you know, I think of, you know, just some of the ones that, 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 that I can see, like, you know, John Chrysostom and, you know, that he was a preacher and that he didn't want to be a preacher. When he was ordained, his best friend was actually ordained before him because he threw his best friend up, <laughs> you know, like in his place. And then he ran away for a couple of years. I volunteer to be a tribute. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think of that. I, I see these saints that have struggled with things, you know. Um, and Julian, you can relate to them. Yeah, you know, uh, Julian of Norwich, who I pray one of her quotes all the time, you know, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. As somebody that struggles with anxiety, I need to look back to a saint that had anxiety and that overcame it. Yeah you know, through Christ. And so, and then, you know, probably the, the last thing I'll say about all that is it, 
it, it encompasses the, the uh, whole body. I mean, so with the icons, it, it, it uses my vision. It uses my sight. The, the incense, you know, sense of smell, it, it, it incorporates the nose, you know, crossing myself and stuff like that. It, it, it uses my body, the, my feel of touch. And then, you know, on Sundays, I'm, I'm constantly telling people we need to do the Eucharist weekly. One, because it's one of the only things in the liturgy that is completely not of us. You know, it is just the grace of God being given to us. Um, but it incorporates our taste, you know. And so just this idea of using our, our, our whole body, you know, and then music. You know, why do we play music in the church? It's because our ears need it. And so I've often said, and I'm sure I stole this from somebody, I just don't remember who, that the icons are to the eyes what music are to the ear. Hmm. And That's so, super interesting. So it's just a way for me to fully be an embodied Christian. Huh. Thanks so much, Brent. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a fun discussion. And you know, again, I just I like being able to sit down and, and talk about this stuff that you know, I think is important. And I think the church is realizing is, is important. Well, we'll have you on again to talk about whether we're Protestant or Anglican. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. Sounds, sounds good, man. Okay, Byron. So what do you think? If you ever become a pastor again, you're going to wear a clerical collar? Probably not. Cause I just don't like having things that close to my neck. Um, but that being said, I do, I do cross myself during prayer and stuff. Some people in church always looked at me and like stared at me funny and asked me why I do that. I'm not Catholic and all that. So important, important things that form us um, should be important regardless of, I guess, whether they were first created in the, in the Catholic denomination or not. Uh, but going forward, if you like these conversations, if you want to hear more about what millennials think, if you like hearing about the faith-based work they're doing in culture, then join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. We'll have more guests just like Brent. We'll have more pastors who are millennials, or as he said, millennials who happen to be pastors. You can find us online. You can discuss dialogue with us. We're on Facebook at themillennialpastor.com, Twitter at rev.millennial, Instagram the.millennial.pastor. And feel free to engage with us to share your stories with us, to give us ideas about what we should talk about. Uh, you can find us on all those places as well as our website, themillennialpastor.com. But until next time, I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Thanks for listening and join us next time.